Well, hello, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bible Breakdown. Got a little bit of a special episode today uh, as we are going to be kind of doing a little bit more of a topical message. Uh, so typically we follow along with the uh, kids' ministry lessons from the Gospel Project, and um, so we're in Scripture. Sometimes it kind of leads to topical messages, but um, for all of you in the solid rock sphere, you know that uh, we haven't had kids' ministry over the last couple of weeks with that winter storm. Um, I do hope that all of you uh, are doing well on the other side of that. I know it was really tough for a lot of people in our community, but uh, since we've had no kids' ministry and the lesson we have planned that is still waiting in the wings, I think is well worth going for forward with uh, when we do meet up again this Sunday. Um, I just thought that since it's been a couple of weeks since we've had a new Bible breakdown that I'd just jump into something a little unrelated and hopefully you'll find it helpful and profitable. Um, it's just been kind of something that's been on my heart in my own personal life. And really that is, and you can probably tell from the title, just this tension that we experience or maybe even more than tension, maybe this competition that we feel in our lives between our pursuit of happiness and our pursuit of holiness. And to start us off, I'm going to read a quote from one of my favorite books. Um, it's a book on marriage called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. Very influential book for me and my wife, Caitlin. Um, and so this quote's kind of in the frame of marriage, but I think it applies to us in our spiritual lives uh, as a whole. So I'm going to start reading from Sacred Marriage. Gary Thomas writes, Any situation that calls me to confront my selfishness has enormous spiritual value. And I slowly began to understand that the real purpose of marriage may not be happiness as much as it is holiness. Not that God has anything against happiness or that happiness and holiness are by nature mutually exclusive, but looking at marriage through the lens of holiness began to put it into an entirely new perspective for me. Now, when I first read that uh, as a young man, I found that to be a pretty uh, startling statement, pretty startling to say, maybe my marriage isn't actually about being happy. Because I think that most of us, when if we are married or if we think about marriage, we think, oh, being married will make me happy. Otherwise, really, why would I do it? Uh, a lot of times we're kind of led by that passion to make ourselves happy and to do the thing that we think will bring us the most enjoyment. Um, but once you've made that decision, once you've decided to get married, I think that having the perspective of marriage is a part of me growing in holiness, and, by, and we'll kind of talk about what that means a little bit later, um, is really what should be at the at the center, at the front of the discussion. And really that, I think, applies to all of our lives. Um, as we're making decisions, as we're seeking things, as we're pursuing things, as we're putting energy into things, are we doing that with the goal of more happiness, more enjoyment, uh, more security, or are we doing that with a mind toward what's going to grow me in my holiness? What's going to grow me in my Christ-likeness? How am I going to become a better, more complete servant of Christ, more conformed into the image of Christ? And I know for me, and you know, you may have your own way of pursuing this, I think I see myself pursuing happiness a lot of times in the choices that I make. And sometimes that happiness comes from a, okay, let's see if I can... Uh, protect all the things that I hold dear, my uh, my security, financial, physical, whatever it may be, emotional, 
Um, so if I can do that, if I can make sure that I put enough uh, fun things into my life so I don't have to think too much about the, the hard things, uh, maybe I see situations that I want to avoid in order to avoid those negative feelings. And really all of that's aimed toward my happiness. But what does it look like for us to have a life that's geared toward, that's open to what God is doing to draw us into holiness, into a closer relationship with him, into more conformity with the image of Christ? So uh, like Gary Thomas said, happiness and holiness are not mutually exclusive, but ultimately, if happiness is what we're pursuing, we're not pursuing the right goal, whether it be in marriage or any other sphere of life. Uh, if happiness is the goal, we've got a problem. So I want to start out, just give a little definition of happiness. This is kind of what I, my going to be my working definition for our purposes. It's not straight from a dictionary or anything, but I would describe happiness as the feeling one gets when good things happen and circumstances are as one wants them. So this happiness is very related to circumstances and the things happening around us. Happiness um, is vulnerable to negative circumstances. Happiness can be changed fairly quickly uh, by negatives that come up in our lives. Um, and you may have heard people talk about the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness, a little more circumstantial joy is maybe more rooted in uh, a position. Like we, we decide to be joyful even in the midst of difficult situations. But yeah, I'm defining it here as the feeling you get when good things happen, circumstances are as we want them. That's kind of what it looks like. Um, for us to describe ourselves as happy. And so, again, going back to what Gary Thomas said, it's happiness is not necessarily the enemy of holiness. Uh, so think about it this way. If you um, like any sort of sport, just imagine whatever your favorite sport is. If you don't like sports, well, imagine a sport, I guess. Um, and so imagine two situations. One where holiness is the coach of a team, that is called happiness. And then we'll look at what would it look like if happiness was a coach of a team or a, an individual called holiness. So if holiness is your coach, then the happiness of the player or players fits the scheme of holiness. My, my happiness has to bend to whatever the scheme my holiness draws up, so to speak. Um, holiness is the one that is, is training, is guiding, is strategizing, um, and happiness has to go with that. So the moments of joy uh, are a gift that I relish, if that's the case. If holiness is the coach and happiness is the players, then the moments of joy, the moments of happiness, I see them as a gift from God, and I, I enjoy that. Um, but ultimately, I, I recognize them as a gift from God, and I'm able to enjoy them because ultimately God is the one I'm pursuing. But if we switch that, if happiness is now the coach, holiness is one of the players or it's the team, then my holiness, my spiritual values, they tend to look like what makes my life easiest. Because if the scheme uh, that we're fitting the players into, so to speak, the holiness players or player, if you're more of a tennis or golf person, then happiness has the scheme. Holiness has to find a way to fit. Um, so if my happiness looks like having a lot of physical security, I don't think that um, my players are going to end up pulling over on the side of the road to help someone I don't know who's got a flat tire. Um, if happiness is the coach and maybe my, my end goal for my happiness is a lot of uh, enjoyable uh, hobbies or activities, um, well, my, my holiness is going to have to fit 
um, some quiet time here or there, some some prayer time here or there, because really ultimately what I'm working toward is that leisure, that enjoyment. So it's really not that they can't exist together, but it's really who's in the driver's seat, who's coaching. Uh, is, is holiness setting the scheme for my life or is happiness setting the scheme? And I think that sometimes we can think, well, happiness doesn't require anything of me, but holiness does. So a lot of times we're going to go with happiness. We're going to go with the path of least resistance a lot. That's just a typical um, bent I think we have is toward the path of least resistance. We don't want to do hard things. It's hard to do hard things. That's why they're hard things, right? Um, so we can tend to think that happiness doesn't really require anything of me. So if I pursue happiness, then that's a lot easier. And to an extent, it may be easier. But whether you're pursuing happiness or holiness, something is required of me. Something is required of us, whether we pursue happiness or, or holiness. Happiness um, requires me to keep my life and my world clean. Uh, it requires me to f- keep my life free of difficulties and trials. Uh, and we all know you don't have to live much life before you realize that's an impossible task. You can do everything you want um, to try to keep yourself out of trouble, out of trial, out of any difficulties, out of any illness. Uh, but we all know that ultimately it's a futile task, that things happen. Things happen that we cause, things happen that we don't cause. It's just a part of living in a sinful world is that there are difficulties in our life. So if I'm trying to maintain a life that makes me happy, if I'm trying to focus on how I can be happy all the time, I've got to do a lot of work to uh, smooth over all the troublesome things that come up in life. I've got to work hard to keep those things at bay. Um, You may have to uh, skirt over conflicts that you have with others by pretending they're not real, ignoring them, running away from them. Um, You may have to confront uh, sickness with a a false sense of uh, security, a false sense of, oh, it's not that bad, downplay it. Um, Maybe it's something with uh, finances, Um, financial difficulties come up. Um, So I have to make it look like uh, I'm still all good in terms of how I'm using my finances because a lot of my happiness might be based on how I'm able to use my finances. So really, you're kind of putting up out fires as they come up. And ultimately, um, you're having to put up this facade that to yourself and to others that things are just how you want them. Things are still good. So happiness still requires something of me. Happiness requires something of me to to keep it. Um, but the problem is the end isn't really what we're looking for. Um, really, so if you are familiar with something like the uh, a prosperity gospel ideology or health and wealth, preaching. Um, those are two things that are, are very prevalent in our society and, and in other societies as well. Um, it's just kind of this idea that if I obey God, then he's going to give me what I want, um, that I will be healthy, wealthy, and wise, so to speak. If I go to church and I read my Bible and all that, um, I won't have to worry about life's troubles um, because God wants me to have good things. Uh, but the danger of this kind of preaching is first, that life doesn't work that way for anybody and anyone who thinks it does is really kind of you really have to put on some blinders to think that way um we know in john that jesus tells his disciples in this life you will have trouble but take heart i've overcome the world 
he's not denying that there will be trouble in the world, but he's saying, ultimately, I've overcome it. Um, I also think to the passage, um, one of the, to me, one of the more sobering passages in all of scripture, um, after Saul, uh, during his conversion to being Paul, um, the person who's been working with Saul after he went blind is kind of like, God, are you sure? Do you know what this guy has been up to? He's been persecuting your church. Um, and God basically tells him like, yes, go to him. I've chosen him as a ch- uh, my instrument uh, to preach before the Gentiles, before the kings of the sons of Israel. And he tells him, I will show him how much it's necessary for him to suffer on behalf of my name. So when I read that, I kind of get a little bit of a shiver. Um, it's a little bit ominous, um, but it's true. We see in Paul's life that he undergoes a lot of suffering and, you know, we could say, well, God's, you know, was punishing him for the, um, evil that he did before, um, he was converted that very well may be true, but, uh, not much life experience. It doesn't take much life experience for us to realize that that is our lot as well. Anyone who would seek to pursue Jesus will suffer. Even those who don't seek Jesus suffer, um, the good thing about being a follower of Jesus that we don't suffer in vain, that we suffer for something good. So yeah, the first problem with this kind of prosperity gospel, this health and wealth preaching is that life doesn't work that way. You can't get what you want. A plus B doesn't equal C. Uh, But I think even worse is even if this were true, the reward of faithful living is so small to have good health and to have money, to have friendships those are all great. They're all very important, important to all of us. But if that's what you, if that's the biggest thing you earn, if that's what you truly get from following God, I can't help but ask, is there not more than that? There's gotta be more than that. I think that's a real danger of prosperity, gospel, health and wealth is it puts that health, that wealth, friendships, all the good things in this life, it puts them at the forefront. But those things aren't nearly as valuable as knowing Christ more fully and more fully identifying with his life to be more conformed into the image of Christ is ultimately what I want. So if we're pursuing happiness, then what we, at the best, the best we get at the end of the line is worldly happiness. That's what we could theoretically reach, but isn't there more than that? Isn't there more to living life, especially as a believer than just trying to, surround ourselves with more money, more friends, better health. And I think there is. And what God is really calling us to more than he's calling us to be happy, which again, he doesn't mind if we're happy, but if it comes at the expense of our holiness, then we have a problem. God is calling us to holiness. So I would define holiness as the state of being dedicated and consecrated to God's service set apart. So the state of being dedicated, consecrated to God's service, set apart. That's kind of what we're pursuing. That's what we're looking for. And holiness really it does exist on a spectrum. Um, as, as believers, anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus is holy because of the work of Christ. We are dedicated and consecrated to God's service. We are set apart because of what Jesus has done. But ultimately, holiness is also something that we grow in. Um, The state of being more dedicated to God's service, to living into that identity of being set apart are things that we walk through in our lives. And so I just wanted to share a few scriptures um, that kind of lead us in this direction, that help us see kind of the 
um, the trajectory of what it looks like to pursue holiness, uh, even if it's at the expense of happiness. Uh, one is uh, Romans 8.28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that is a really nice verse to read in a vacuum because we say, oh, thank goodness, everything's going to work for my good. We have to realize what good means when we're talking about what God's good is for us. And ultimately, it may not always be what we call good. Ultimately, God calls good um, whatever brings us more into line with his will um, and things that uh, guide and grow our character. Uh, so when he says we know that God works all things together for good, well, what, what are the, all the things that he's talking about? Well, in verse 18, he kind of gives a little bit of a, a thesis statement. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed for us. He's basically saying he's working all these sufferings, all these things that we do together to grow us, to grow us into something good. For anyone who's called according to his purpose, God is going to work those things for good. That gives me a, a ton of hope, um, not only for the sufferings that um, may happen that feel out of my control, um, things that happen to me, but also I think this applies to things that we cause ourselves. I firmly believe that one of the most incredible things that God does in our lives, he even takes the sin in our lives and he turns it into something good. He uses it as an example for us to guide someone else. He can turn uh, those hurts into an opportunity to to seek him more or for someone else to seek him more. Even the things that we do that are against God's will, he still finds a way to work them together for good, the good that ultimately leads us to him um, in himself and in, in us and in others. Uh, a second passage I'd like to examine with you. This one I think will be very familiar to, to most of you. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, if you have never lived in a house where this was on the wall or on a pillow, or you've never visited a grandparent where this was on the wall or on a pillow somewhere, and you grew up in the South, I would love to love to chat with you because I feel like this is anywhere. I don't even think really being a Christian has that much to do with having this verse somewhere. Um, it sounds really nice. It sounds really nice. If I were to open a Christian gym, I would expect that somebody would bring me this um, and put it right next to the really heavy weights so that people knew that through Christ they could lift, you know, whatever a large amount of weight is. I'm not going to pretend I know that. Y'all have seen me. You know what my body type's like. Uh, obviously, don't hit the weights a lot. Um, but I think that, and I think a lot of us know, too, that sometimes this verse is used in vain a little bit. It's used to promote things that aren't necessarily promoted by Paul, when he's writing it, ultimately what Paul's saying in Philippians 4 is that regardless of the circumstances, he has learned the secret. He says he's learned the secret to living. And it's that whatever comes my way, whether it be good or bad, Christ is in me and Christ strengthens me and I can get through it. That's ultimately what he's talking about. He's not saying, oh, I can swim a lot farther. I can lift a lot more. I can jump a lot higher because of Christ who strengthens me. He's saying, regardless of what happens, I know that I can make it through because Christ is in me. And ultimately, as we encounter difficulties, as we encounter hardships in life, if we have the attitude that 
because of who Christ is, I can walk through it in the way that God's calling me to, then we're going to live a life that is really pursuing holiness. Because a life that is pursuing holiness sometimes makes hard choices that are ultimately for good, has hard conversations with people because ultimately it leads to good, does the right thing when no one else is doing it because ultimately it leads to good. We're able to do that because of who Christ is, what he's done, what he's continuing to do in us. Um, then I'm going to move on to James 1, another one that may be familiar, um, less likely to be on a pillow just because it is a little bit of a bummer in some ways. Um, but starting in verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's hard to say I'm going to count it joy when I encounter trials of various kinds. Kinds. I don't like trials. I'm sure you don't like trials. Why would I count it joy? Well, it's because of what it's creating in us. Trials are those opportunities where our faith is tested and that it produces what he says, steadfastness or endurance. It produces a, a stronger faith that's able to endure um, even more difficulties. And any trial we're in, we can be sure that there's going to be a next trial and that there's going to be a next trial really until we see Jesus face to face after this life is over, we can be sure there's going to be another trial that comes up. And that's what it looks like to pursue holiness is to see trials and not say, how can I get this over with as quickly as possible? How can I get past this with as few wounds as possible? But rather I can count it joy. We can count it joy when we see these trials, when we walk through them faithfully as God's calling us to. And we know that what the result is, is that it's a stronger faith. It's a heart that's more closely aligned with God. It's a path that's more closely aligned with God's path. And that it says, we'll be lacking in nothing. If we're walking with the Lord, what do we lack? If we have Jesus, what do we lack? We don't lack anything. We may lack temporary comfort, temporary happiness. Um, we may lack um, the things of this world, but ultimately we lack nothing because Jesus is everything. And knowing him is everything, being with him forever is everything. And we want that. We want to be pursuing that. We don't want to stumble upon eternity and say, oh, wow, I guess I made it. We want to have been pursuing that all along because not only did we believe in Jesus, but we were faithful to what he was calling us to do. And then the final passage I want to examine here is Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who I'm finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And this is a, follows right after the parable of the man who finds treasure and he goes and buys the field so that he can have that treasure. He sells everything that he can he's, so that he can buy that field with the treasure in it. That's who Jesus is to us. He's worth giving up everything. So if something that I'm pursuing to make me happy, whether it be um, a hobby it be some sort of mindset, maybe a pursuit of something else like wealth. Um, maybe we try so hard to keep ourselves healthy that we never have to worry about going to the doctor because going to the doctor can be hard and stressful and we don't want to have any ailments, whatever it may be. Pursuing Jesus is worth giving all that up. Not that you can't have a hobby or be healthy or even do well in your job and, and earn money, but that ultimately those pursuits are in line with a pursuit of holiness that the one that you've ultimately given up everything for is Jesus. And that in his, in his path, in his arms that you're pursuing other things because they're gifts from God, not because they 
are the end in and of themselves. When we find something like Jesus, when we hear something like the gospel, it's worth giving up everything for. We can sell everything and give it up because it's worth it. And so we talked a little bit that happiness requires something of us. Holiness requires something of us too. Um, It's, I'd say, equally difficult, but infinitely more worthwhile. First, holiness requires me to suffer. We talked about it with uh, Paul um, in Acts when God tells, um, I think it's Ananias. I'll have to double check that. But tells him that Paul is going to suffer for his name. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. There's a lot of ink in the Bible about how believers will suffer. Paul says that if he was trying to please men, he wouldn't be a follower of Christ. If you want everything to be hunky-dory with you and everybody else, you're not going to pursue Christ because there's an offense that comes up with Christ. There's an offense that comes up with others. So that's something I have to be aware of. And say holiness requires us to face difficulties and trials directly with the assurance that it's worth it. And the reward for this work is further growing into the image of Christ, more endurance, higher character, and ultimately, hopefully, a realization of the sufficiency of God. That we can rest like Paul did, saying, I can do all things because I have Christ. I can walk through all things because I have Christ. Again, happiness isn't wrong. The pursuit of happiness at the expense of holiness is. The pursuit of holiness results in true joy that transcends circumstances. And it results in a life that reflects the value of Christ above all other worldly pleasures. So for me, as I talk about this, as I think about this, I can easily call to mind the things that I do to pursue happiness instead of holiness. Um, Seeking security by making sure all my ducks are in a row. Um, Thinking about how I can use my finances to keep myself secure. Thinking about how I can use uh, leisure activities, hobbies to ignore um, issues or problems, uh, whether big or small. And I'm sure that you have ways that you can think of that you pursue happiness over holiness sometimes. But what I really want to encourage us toward is just a heart that seeks to obey Christ above all else and that we can enjoy the things that he's given us, the gifts that he's given us, but that ultimately those gifts won't become the end, that the end, the the purpose will be to know the person who gives the gifts, to be in closer alignment with his will that will lead us into true joy and happiness. So I hope this is helpful and I hope that gives you an opportunity um, like it has for me um, just to consider what God is calling me to, um, to grow me in holiness, to grow me into conformity with the image of Christ rather than simply what makes me happy.